0: Please pray with me. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my lips be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Send your living word to walk amongst us now, to challenge our assumptions, to set our hearts ablaze, and to make us whole again. Amen. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is a beloved Sunday school story. It's just so magical. Three men being thrown into a fiery furnace and then emerging completely unharmed. The story fills us with a sense of hope that God really can do the impossible. That an unwavering faith in God will preserve us and save us from all harm. The fires will not overwhelm us. We will exit the furnaces of life without even the scent of smoke upon us because God protects God's people. And that can be one way to read this story. But as I dug into this passage in prep for this morning's sermon, I started to think that maybe there's something else that God is trying to show us through these words. And that's what I love about the Bible. Depending on when you hear a story or how you hear a story, it can completely change the message you receive. I believe that the Bible really is the living Word of God. That means that it's dynamic and active, and depending on when and how we read it, God might speak to us completely differently than the last time we read that story. All the previous times I read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I heard it as a story about persevering in our faith and God's protection. But this week, when I read the same story, I hear about the ways that power can corrupt and how God intervenes when violence is used to oppress and control. Let me explain. The story we're focusing on this morning, yes, it's found in the Beginner's Bible that I read for the children at the children's time, but it's also in the third chapter of the book of Daniel. And it seems that the author of the book of Daniel really wanted to share some stories with the people about corrupt and foolish kings. Because there's our story today with King Nebuchadnezzar, who forces Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. But then later on in the book of Daniel, there's another famous Sunday school story about Daniel and the lion's den. And in both stories, there's a king who makes a decree about how people should worship. And both kings make it clear that if anyone disobeys, there will be brutal, cruel consequences. In one story, it's a fiery furnace, and in the other, it's a den of lions. But in both stories, it's a person of authority who states that all the people of the land must worship in a certain way, and if they don't, there will be violence. You see, the author of the book of Daniel is inviting us to consider, I think, the ways that power corrupts. Daniel was likely written at a time when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon. They were victims of intense oppression and violence. They were forced to live under the command of the Babylonian kings who often had no regard for their well-being. But those same Israelites, living in these difficult situations, also might have recognized the ways that they, the people of Israel, they had harmed and oppressed others back when they were a nation in control. In other words, when people originally heard this story, and now as we listen to this story today, we might find ourselves resonating with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but we also might consider the ways that we behave like King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's look now just at exactly what King Nebuchadnezzar does, shall we? At the beginning of this story of the fiery furnace, King Nebuchadnezzar decides that everyone must bow down and worship this golden statue that he's created. There's no seemingly good reason for this other than to control and oppress the people in the kingdom. And King Nebuchadnezzar makes it very clear that if anyone does not bow down and worship, when the music plays, well, then they will be thrown into a blazing hot furnace. I know that this all seems extreme, but don't we see at least forms of this behavior playing out in our world today? People with power find any way they can to control those without power. It's not just kings who do this, it's bosses and ad agencies and social media algorithms. It's the popular kids at school or the influential people in your friend groups. It's the people who know that they can get away with saying, this is the way things are going to be. You see, I don't think King Nebuchadnezzar is some sort of evil mastermind. He's a human being with a lot of power, a human being who's afraid of losing his power. And so he chooses to control others and threaten violence in order to maintain his own sense of security have we ever done this? Have we ever used threats in order to maintain our hold on power? Have we ever said something like, if you don't agree with my political viewpoint, well then we have nothing more to talk about. Or if you can't get with the program, then I guess you'll have to find someplace else. Or this is the way it has to be or we're through. When we act like this, we're creating idols that are no different than the gold statue King Nebuchadnezzar built. If we think that our way is the only way, and if we demand that everyone else see the world as we do, well, then we're really just asking everyone to bow down and worship us. Even at the end of this story, King Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't really get it. Sure, he recognizes that the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is powerful and true and worthy of worship, but all that King Nebuchadnezzar does in the end is just issue a new violent decree. We didn't hear it in the excerpt that we read, but at the end of Daniel chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar says that if anyone blasphemes the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, then they will be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid to ruins. Unfortunately, even at the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar is still in the business of controlling and abusing. He's still demanding that everyone else just do as he says. And that's not what our faith is about. God does not call us to bully everyone else into doing things our way. No, our life of faith is a constant practice in letting go of control so that God can be in control. And sometimes that means that we'll have to compromise or give in or change our mind or not get our way. And don't get me wrong, there will be times when we'll need to stand up for our beliefs and for what is right, but one thing is for sure, if we ever find ourselves trying to back up our beliefs like Nebuchadnezzar did, by making threats of violence, if we ever get to that point, then we are definitely in the wrong. Because notice where God shows up in this story. In our story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the place where God shows up is in the furnace. That's the fourth figure in the flames with the three men. It's as if God has explicitly appeared to prevent the violence that King Nebuchadnezzar is demanding. And that same God, that same God is going to appear again later in the book of Daniel to prevent the lions from unjustly devouring Daniel. And then that same God will also appear in Egypt to set the oppressed Israelites free. And that same God appears again as a baby in a manger come to free our world of the cycles of violence. I know that I've been really hard on King Nebuchadnezzar through this whole sermon but I do have to give him credit for what he says at the very end of our reading. He says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They disobeyed the king's command and yielded up their bodies, rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. You see, what ultimately impresses King Nebuchadnezzar with all his power and influence, what ultimately impresses him is the faith and the sacrifice of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar sees that their willingness to let go of control, their willingness to trust God and to give up their bodies, this has a type of power that's even beyond Nebuchadnezzar. And isn't this exactly what Jesus showed us as well? He walked right into the jaws of the violent Roman control apparatus, and he gave up his body on the cross. Jesus trusted in a plan that looked in the moment like defeat, but in the end, was much, much more powerful. And you know, Jesus' ministry was much of the same theme. I'm sure people saw his call to forgive as feeble. They saw his command to turn the other cheek as weak. They saw his insistence on love above all else as foolish. They saw his willing sacrifice on the cross as defeat. But His death on the cross is actually where the true power was revealed. And the last 2,000 years has shown us that Jesus' way of love and forgiveness is somehow more powerful, more transformative, more enduring than any empire, any king, anyone who perpetuates violence and oppression and death. Jesus rose from the dead and revealed the power that's greater than our worldly perceptions. But we still do have trouble seeing it at times. Our Gospel lesson from Luke tells the story of disciples walking to Emmaus, and they don't even recognize that Jesus is walking with them. They're too focused on their own way of seeing the world, too focused on their own struggles and grief and sense of justice to recognize that the resurrected Jesus was walking right beside them giving them clear evidence of His ways of forgiveness and love and sacrifice, can overcome anything the universe might throw at us. It's the age-old human story of thinking our way is always best, of insisting on our own way of doing things and in the process often missing out on what God has been up to all along. Maybe we just need to admit that violence and control aren't the answer. Rather, it's the subtle yet powerful ways of Jesus that the world needs most. Because it's love, not violence, not control, not being right, but the love of God in Christ Jesus that has and that will transform our hearts and our world. Amen.